Let me uh, welcome you here also, especially those that are visiting with us, and welcome over there in uh, the venue. Glad you're with us. Thank you uh, to all of you that serve over there, and that's just a, a great and growing group, both hours. Welcome to all of you that are watching online. Glad to have you all with us. Um, so we started this year something a little bit new. Uh, if you're a, a member of our church, not, not just an attender, but you're a member, I am emailing you out a little, um, a little uh, blurb of some of the things that happened last month and some of the things that are coming up this month. And, um, but I'm also including some sort of neat resource that you can use. And uh, this month, if you clicked on to it, it is uh, a little uh, little death certificate, and you can see I put it in in this frame right here. But I also put it inside my Bible, and I have it right here: death certificate. Having received new life in Christ Jesus, I, Rick Countryman, do hereby declare myself, my old self, to be dead to sin. I pledge with all honest intent my continued death each moment from this day forward. Romans 6, 7, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And it's just a way for me, when I have my Bible, to open it up to remember this great theological truth. That, oh, you know, I'm still breathing. But God says to me, Rick, you died, your old nature died with Christ. And it's just a, a great way to be reminded of this truth. You could do this with it. You, do, you can do anything you want to with it. It's just a resource. It's a, an original resource. The things that we're giving you are things that we're coming, uh, we're coming up with. And so click on to that and use it however you want. Maybe you might want to have a, a little family devotion around it. This idea that we, we're, 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 we're dead. We died with Christ. But we're alive. We're alive because of what he did. And so take advantage of uh, that resource that uh, we've given you this, this month. Now, this morning, uh, you're going to need to put your thinking caps on. Okay? Especially maybe the next two or three weeks as we begin this little little mini-series here in, in the book of Romans. You're really going to have to think. We're going to get into some, some weighty, uh, weighty things, and for some of you, it's going to go over the top of your head, and that's okay. Uh, when I first started coming to church, um, I, did, I didn't know anything. By the time I finally found you know, Romans chapter 7, which is where you can turn now, uh, the sermon was over. You know, and I, what? What happened? You know, I just, I just found Romans, uh, and that's okay. It's all right. We're all on a continuum here. The journey of faith, we begin somewhere, and some of you came to faith last week. Some have been walking with the Lord for decades. But all of us are going to have to put our thinking caps on, and as I said, you can turn to Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, all the verses will be inside your program. They'll come up on the jumbotrons even on your computer screen at home. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have one, it is really our, our privilege as a church family to give you one. You, all you have to do is go into the altar room. Even over in the venue, we have an altar room. 
and we'd love to put one in your hands. It's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. We just love for you to have the Word of God for yourself. One of the things that we're doing through this series is we have these Not Ashamed videos, and basically what they are is we just kind of grab somebody in our church family, and we get to learn a little something about them. We capture a little vignette of their life, and so check out this week's. My name is Hassam. I am from Iraq. I grew up in a Christian family, but not believer Christian family. My mother, she was go to the Catholic church, and my dad, he was go to the evangelical church also. We go to the church just usually at uh, the events like Christmas or Easter, uh, when we like. And since 2003, uh, one of my relatives, he's a pastor, he's coming back to Iraq and uh, he's trying to open a church. He was talking with me, he's told me, Hussam, uh, you have to accept Jesus in your life. I told him, I was defending myself, I was told him, who tell you I don't accept Jesus? And uh, he's told me uh, the belief in Jesus, not just going to the church, uh, not uh, just live your life like as you is. To believe in Jesus, you have to remove the sin from your life and to change your life uh, completely. He told me, so what do you think? Do you like to pray with me? So I need to stay with him for business only. So I tell him yes, and he pray with me, but I am I'm praying with him, I'm lying to him. I was living the way I wanted to, not the way that uh, Jesus wanted in my life. I was saying bad words, curses, and this stuff. Also selling uh, bad movies to people, pornography movies, and smoke, and even drink. So after that, uh, he's doing another gathering in his home and preach about uh, from the gospel. Uh, the only way to go to the heaven is Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, how you will go to the heaven? That is make me feel uh, like uh, fire inside me and, and a little bit upset because I am not with Jesus. And the Lord, He was start uh, working inside me and I accept Jesus from all my heart in that day. And at uh, the same time, uh, it was my friend, he's accept Jesus also. Uh, I was work with him, uh, sold pornography movies to people. So he told me, okay, what we will do with these movies? I told him, no, we don't need after we accept Jesus to do that anymore. How after he's changed us, we, we will go back. Uh, I told him, we will break these movies. So we broke it and it's uh, going up and going down again like rain. We feel really strong when we do that. That is really the first step the Lord has started with us. So me and my sister and my mother, we moved to USA in 2012. I was looking for churches. So the Lord find me a big valley grace. 
I involved with the service uh, with the contemporary choir. I like um, to hear and uh, listen the sermon of Pastor Rick. I translate it in Arabic language to my mother. I talk in the mic and I send my, my voice to her. A lot of people, they come to the church, they don't know Jesus, just, just the, they attending to the church. And I hope uh, I can be able to speak more languages, not just in Arabic, not just in English, uh, to speak about, the, about what the Lord Jesus is doing in my life and what he's doing for the, all the world. My name is Hussam Haddad and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of the things get lost in translation with him. We Americans don't realize the freedoms that we have. If you knew his story of becoming a Christian in Iran, you, it ain't like here. You literally are putting your life on the line. And what a thrill to have him and his family in our church. And he serves, he sings here in our choir on uh, Saturday nights. And it's amazing what the Lord is doing in his life and his heart to reach his own people. He loves Jesus Christ. And we as a church family have been a huge blessing to him. Huge blessing. And I wish uh, we could have captured more of, of, of his story. But um, Romans uh, chapter 7, you all there? You got your fingers there? I have told you over and over and over again that the book of Romans is basically broken down into five major sections. Section 1 is all about the problem that we have, and that is sin. So after a few introductory comments in Romans chapter 1, basically Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays out the theological truth that all of us are sinful, that sin has impacted all of our lives. And because of sin, the condemnation of God hangs over all of our heads. That's section 1. And when you get to section two, this is all about the solution to the problem that we all have, and that's Jesus. Chapters four and five are basically all about how God was going to deal with the problem of sin in our lives. We were created in his image. He loves us deeply. He promised that he was going to send a savior, and he does. And in Romans 5, or 4 and 5, we, we, we have the solution. And the solution is Jesus. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the Savior. Jesus is the gospel. It's through a relationship with Jesus that the problem of sin that infects all of our lives is dealt with. Then you get to section 3, and this is all about how a believer in Jesus should live. 
Chapter 6 through 8 give us the, the theological underpinnings of why and how we can live differently now that we know Jesus. You see, we understand sin and the problem we all had. We all understood God sent Jesus, and it's Jesus who makes us whole. It's Jesus who redeems us. And now, the section that we're in now is all about, okay, how should we live? Now that we know Christ, now that, that, that Jesus has uh, you know, saved us from our sins, how should we live? Then section four is God's sovereignty, and section five is all about service, and we'll get to these last two in the months ahead, Lord willing. But as I said, we're in section three today. Now that you know Jesus as your Savior, God's expectation is that you would live differently, that you would live a, a holy life. Paul said this in Romans chapter 6. He said, we died to sin, so, so how can we live in it any longer? If you understand the first three chapters of Romans and you understand the implications of sin in your life and you understand what Jesus went through to accomplish the goal of forgiving you of your sin, how, how do you live in that sin any longer? How do, you, how do you just continue to live in habitual sin? unrepentant sin. How, how do you do that? Beloved, at the very moment you gave your life to Jesus, you died to sin, so you can't live in it any longer. Now that Jesus' death and burial and resurrection has made you know, things right between you and God, God wants you to live differently. He wants you to live holy. Now Paul's not saying that when you become a, a Christian, you'll never sin again. Because we're all going to sin this side of glory. Paul's simply saying, look, now that you've been rescued by Jesus from the wrath of God that sin brought, you can't live in that sin any longer. Because you've died to it, and now God has set you apart for his holy purposes. You were set apart to bring glory to God through your actions. I told you the story that Dr. Barnhouse used to use to help illustrate the point. He told of a, of a ship's captain. And uh, they were out on the open seas, and the captain went crazy. He went nuts. And so the, the crew came and handcuffed him and threw him down in a prison below deck. And they made the first mate the captain. So the crew has a new captain now. But the old captain was down below, locked up in a prison, and every now and then he'd yell out an order to the crew. And the crew had had him as a captain for so long, every so often they would hear the captain's voice, the old captain's voice, and they'd begin to obey the old captain. And what they had to do is they had to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We now have a new captain, the first mate. We're not to obey the old captain anymore. We have a new captain. And they had to learn to just disregard the voice of the old captain. Beloved, your old nature is going to keep on shouting out orders. The pull of sin is strong at times, very strong, but remember, it's been stripped of all of its authority. And God wants you to obey the new master. And that's Jesus within you. Yes, you're going to hear the old nature, the old captain barking out orders at times, but you've got to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
That is not from the Lord. I got a new captain now in my life. Paul put it this way in Titus chapter 2. He said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. It teaches, that's, that's the key word. There's a process going on. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to stop listening to the old captain. The old captain is going to bark out these orders that are ungodly. They're, they're, they're worldly. We need to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Look, when you received Christ into your life, you received his power, his grace, and it's, and it's that power and grace that teaches all of us, whether you're a brand new believer or you've walked with the Lord for a long time, hey, here's the deal. Don't, don't, don't listen to the old voice. You listen to the new voice. You listen to this, and it is a, it's a process. Get into the point in your life where you can say no to sin or no you know, to the commands of the old captain is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. How many of you learned all there was to know about math when you were in kindergarten? Nobody. It was a process. You started. Okay, I got my numbers down, and every year you learned a little bit more, and that's the journey of faith. Just because you came to know Christ yesterday or last week doesn't mean you have it all down pat. You don't. It's a process. It's a learning process. I think the story of Lazarus really might capture the, the, the thought here. I was reading this last week. Jesus has a, a really good friend. His name is Lazarus, and he dies. And it says this in verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, the tomb of Lazarus, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Just picture this. Here's the king of the universe, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who says, hey, roll the stone away. And this gal steps up and says, hey, hang on here. Don't, do, don't follow his order. Just think this through. Just imagine this scene. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. I know better. That's going to stink like crazy once you roll that stone away. Been in there four days. Jesus, I got this handled. You must have not got a lot of sleep last night. Something's gone haywire in your mind. It's unbelievable. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father... Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. This is crazy. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. 
And I'm sure the religious leaders were all standing around going, oh, we got him. Nailed him. Get this on, you know, get this out on our Facebook pages. He just called a dead guy out of the tomb, man. Finally, we're going to be able to prove that this guy's a lunatic. This guy's a loon. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Bet you could have heard a pin drop around that tomb. Beloved, much like Lazarus, you were called out of the life of sin and death. He called you out of that. He did it. Come out from living in sin. Come out from that. And then he takes off all of the old sinful clothes. And he wraps us in his righteousness and his holiness and his majesty. He calls us one of his own. He makes us one of his heirs. And yet, this side of heaven, you know what we do often? Even though he's taken off all those old, you know, crummy burial clothes, we'll go back and we'll pick them up, won't we? All stinky clothes. They don't look good. They don't smell good. They're no good, but we'll go back and we'll put them on. The beautiful thing is, it doesn't take much to just get them off again, does it, Christian? We'll all do it every now and then. All of us will. We'll go back and put those old clothes on. But here's the deal. I challenged you last week that whenever you're tempted to sin, whenever you hear that voice inside your head that says, go for it, do whatever you want, put on those old clothes again. After all, God loves you. He'll forgive you. I want, to remember, want you to remember Romans chapter 6. I want you to remember that you've been baptized into Christ. I want you to remember that you've been crucified with Christ. I want you to remember you've been resurrected with Christ. Those are truths that you have to remember. This side of glory. Romans chapter 6 answers the question, shall we as followers of Christ continue to sin? And the answer is no. Because you died to it. So how can you live in it any longer? Beloved, Romans chapter 6 is all about freedom. Freedom from the power of sin in your life, but you'll never experience that freedom unless you do something. And what is that something you got to do? Well, I, I put it into one word, okay, and that's the word surrender. You have to surrender. I want you to take out that Kleenex. And no, it wasn't because I thought the sermon was going to be so bad that you'd all be weeping when it was over. I want you to pull it out. Do this. Come on, do that. Everybody do that. Come on, everybody put them up. Let me see them. Come on. That looks cool. Come on. Hey, I surrender. I surrender. Oh, Lord, I surrender. 
You see, it's the white flag, right? In military times, you know, if, the, if you're trapped and you're in a cave and the, you're going to die, you, you, you surrender. I surrender! You see, I want you to know something, believer. You can give your life to Christ. You can become a, a Christian. And your, name, you know, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, uh, your, your sins are forgiven. You become a child of God. There's all these wonderful things. But the Bible says that there's also these times when we have to surrender our bodies over to him. In fact, Romans chapter 6 said this. He's talking to believers. Believers, don't offer the parts of your body to sin. Don't surrender the parts of your body over to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Surrender. I'm surrendering my life over to you, my body over to you as those who have been brought from death to life and offer or surrender the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. And beloved, here's the deal. thought maybe, you know, just keep that right inside your Bible. And every time you open that up, may it be a reminder, oh yeah, it's a new day today and I, God, I surrender. I'm offering my body to you. Here are my hands. I can use them in crummy ways or I can use them in God-honoring ways. I'm surrendering my hands to you, God. Oh, God, you gave me two eyeballs and I can use my eyeballs to look at crummy things or I can use my eyeball to look at holy things. God, I surrender my eyeballs over to you. I'm surrendering the, the parts of my body to you that you might use them for holy purposes. You see, you can be a believer And you can offer or surrender your body over really crummy things, sinful things, evil things. And as I said, we often do this out of glory. But if you would remember, you know what? Every morning, every afternoon, you might have to do it multiple times. God, God, my, my old man's barking orders at me. And I feel this pull to go and offer my body to something sinful. Lord, I surrender. I surrender my body to you. It's yours. You use it however you want to to use it. Now, as we get into our passage today, Romans chapter 7, Paul's going to continue to talk about freedom, but not freedom from sin. He's going to talk about freedom from the law. And in the six verses Paul gives us here, he gives us a a truth with a capital T. He gives us an example, and then he finishes it up by giving us an application. And and this is where you really got to be thinking, and you're going to see where it comes back around to this idea of holy living or living differently. So we're going to look at a truth, we're going to look at an example, and then we're going to end with an application. So let's begin with the truth. The truth. The law, the Ten Commandments, only has authority over a person as long as that person is alive. That's the truth. Look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 7. 
Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Now, the first thing I, I want you to look at is who Paul addresses. Dear brothers and sisters, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christians, Jewish Christians, Jews that have become Christians, and Gentiles that have been, become Christians. But he's talking probably primarily to the Jew who had become a Christian who knew the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying that there weren't Gentiles in the church at Rome at that time who would have known about the Ten Commandments. But certainly the Jews who would have given their life to Christ, who were Christians, he's now talking to them about the role of the law in their life, the role of the Ten Commandments. So, so the comments that he's going to make are addressed to Christians. He, Paul wants Christians to know and understand something about their relationship to the law. And we're going to look at this over the next three weeks. Okay. Now that you are a follower of Jesus, what is the role of the law? I mean, the law is a pretty big deal. The, 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 the Ten Commandments are, are, are pretty, pretty weighty. Even if you're here and you don't know Christ, you've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're just a part of the fabric of the world since the beginning of time almost. Everybody's probably heard of Moses or Charlton Heston. You, you, know, you know about the Ten Commandments. O okay, now that you know Christ, what do we do with those things? What's, what's the point of those things? Well, look at the second half of verse 1. Paul is saying that the law, the Ten Commandments, is only binding on the living. He makes that crystal clear. This is the truth. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Who shot President John F. Kennedy? Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Well, was Lee Harvey Oswald ever brought to justice here in the United States of America? In other words, did the laws that we have here in the United States of America have any impact on his life? No, because a guy shot him. Jack Ruby shot him before he ever went to trial. So we have all of these laws that would have impacted his life, but they didn't matter because he died before the law could impact his life. Well, this is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying that the Ten Commandments only apply, the law only applies to those that are alive. Now, some of you are a little confused. I'm going I'm to clear this up for you here in just a moment. Before I go on, let me make a few comments about the law because it's an important part of the journey of faith. Beloved, as you read through the Old Testament, you can't help but notice how awesome the, the law was to the people. Can't... Help but notice the absolute grandeur of the law when you read through the Old Testament. You can't, can't miss it. But there was a huge problem. The law had become so revered by the Jews that many of them had literally made it an idol. 
It literally had become something they worshipped. In fact, by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, for many of the Jews, the keeping of the law had superseded having faith in the God who gave them the law as a way of salvation, which was never God's intention or plan. So when Paul says in Romans chapter 3, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, rather the law became is, is the law we became conscious of sin, I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon. I'm sure the people thought, this guy's a loon. What are you talking about? Hey, Paul, you're trying to tell us that the law doesn't make us righteous? You're telling us that the law isn't a part of how we're saved? Paul knew that those Jews that had become Christian, those Jews that had given their lives over to Christ, would have lots of questions concerning what he was teaching. So Romans chapter 7 is all about our relationship as followers of Christ to the law, which means it's very applicable to all of us. This is going to be really good for all of us. And the first thing that Paul says is this, is that the law only has authority over a person as long as that person is alive. That's how we start. Now, hang on. Just hang on here, okay? So that, that's the truth. And to back up the point, Paul gives an example or an analogy that is absolutely beautiful. So now let's look at the example, okay? The example is marriage vows are only binding as long as both spouses are alive, okay? Look at verse 2. This is just really beautiful. For example... Paul says, when a woman marries, the law binds her to us, her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Okay. Now, first of all, let me tell you, this passage has nothing to do with divorce or remarriage. Nothing. A lot of people try to make it into something more than it ought to be. This is simply an analogy. It's not an allegory. And when you take an analogy and try to make it into an allegory, you get into trouble. All Paul is doing here is using the marriage vows, which are binding, to illustrate the truth he just shared in verse 1. Now, I want to make sure you get this. I mean, I, you really need to get this. Basically, in our text, there are two husbands, okay? The first husband is the law, and the second husband is Jesus Christ. And I want that to be in the forefronts of your mind right now. Paul is saying that when a woman is married, she is bound to the man until he dies. And you can flip this around. It could be the woman is bound. In other words, she can't go out and marry someone else because she's already married. She's already committed to another man, so she can't go out and get married again. Otherwise, she'd be married to two men at the same time. But if her husband dies, everything changes because God doesn't expect you to stay married to a corpse or to a husband that has died, right? Now listen to me carefully. Before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were married to the law. Your husband was the law, which means the law had authority over your life, okay? 
if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are married to the law. The law has authority over your life. And I'll talk more about that next week. And I want you to know the law is a pretty tough husband to have, pretty tough spouse to have. He's an absolute perfectionist. In fact, he demands perfection. There's no wiggle room with the law. There's no wiggle room with our first husband. If you don't do everything perfectly, you're in trouble. Husband number one, the law always has a to-do list, and all the things on that list have to be done absolutely perfectly. He requires absolute, complete, perfect devotion to everything he says. And here's the bummer. You can never please him. You can never please the law, your first husband, because he always finds areas that you failed in. Ah, sure, you try to please him. But you're never good enough for husband number one because you can't follow husband number one, the law, perfectly. You can't do it. There's no grace with husband number one. There's no grace in the law. God didn't give the law the Ten Commandments and say, ah, if you lie every now and again, you're okay. Don't lie! That's what God said. That's the law. Well, if I blow it, don't lie! Well, don't lie! And if you do, you're condemned. Because there's no grace with husband number one, the law. So you know what happens when a person tries to live with the law, under the law? They always feel like a failure. Always feel like a loser. Think about it. Here's this perfect husband demanding absolute perfection, always keeping his wife consumed with a bunch of rules and regulations and restrictions that she can never measure up to. This is a miserable life. (laughs) Now, there's one big, huge bummer you got to deal with. Here it is. You're bound forever to husband number one, the law. Why? Because he'll never die. You're bound forever to husband number one, the law, because he'll never die. The law never dies, which basically equates to a lifetime of misery. Unless there's another option. Unless there's another way to get out of this marriage and find a new husband, a kinder husband, a a husband who's full of grace, a a husband that's full of love and compassion. But what, what could it be if husband number one never dies? You die. If you die, whoo, you're golden. Husband number one ain't dying. The law is not going to die. So you're bound to it forever. Unless you die. Unless you die. You see, if you die, you're no longer bound to husband number one. Beloved, before you met Christ, you were bound to the law. You were married to the law. The law was your husband, and he was brutal. In fact, you were condemned by him. 
But the law didn't die when you gave your life to Christ, but you did. You died in Christ. And because you've died, you're now free to marry again. In fact, you did marry again. You're now married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Husband number two. And because of this, you're no longer married to a system of rules and regulations, the law. Instead, you're married to Jesus Christ, which means the law has no control over you anymore. Praise the Lord. The law is a hard taskmaster. Beloved, to be under the law, husband number one, means that you must do something for God, which is to live perfectly. Good luck. To be under grace, husband number two, means that God does something for you. And these are obviously two different things. Look at verse four. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. You're now married, if you will, to the second husband. Your old husband has no control over you anymore. You're now in a new and wonderful, grace-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. Vance Havner who was uh, this great Southern Baptist preacher, told this true story about a lady who owned this big plantation prior to the Civil War. Well, one day her husband died, and she she loved this guy, and she was kind of weird, loony, and she had him stuffed, true story, and put him in this airtight glass container, no joke, put him in this airtight glass thing. Well, all of her neighbors thought, wow, she, she needs to go on a vacation. And so they, they talked her into going on this worldwide cruise, and she was gone for a couple of years. And while she was gone, she met a man, and she got married to the guy. And uh, then they finally made their way back to the plantation, and after two years, she forgot that she had husband number one stuffed in a glass case. <laughs> so... The second husband opens the door and is carrying his bride, you know, across the threshold and, and drops her and, honey, you know, who's that? And the lady was kind of shocked and says, oh, that's my old husband. And the new husband said, well, he's got to go. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of the, 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 the thought. I, I think that's what Paul's trying to capture here. Hey, look, the old, the old guy's got to go. All the rules and regulations, the law. There's no wiggle room, Christian, with the law. It goes. I'm not saying there's no, it doesn't play a role in your life. I'm going to talk about that next week. But you now have a new husband. You, you, you have a husband who's forgiving and compassionate and so just beautiful. There's no comparison between husband number one and husband number two. Husband number one was tough and condemning, but your new husband is just full of love, and he calls you his friend. 
So the truth is the law only has authority over a person as long as that person is alive. The example is that marriage vows are only binding as long as both spouses are alive. And the application is this. I've talked about it. As a follower of Christ, you're no longer married to the law but to Christ. So now you have the ability to go and bear fruit. I'm taking this thing full circle. Look at verse uh, four and five again. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result of that, now that you have a new husband, we can pr- produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Here's the deal. You died to the law, which makes it possible for you to be joined with Christ, and you were joined for Christ for a purpose. So that you could continue to live in sin? No that you might live a life that produces fruit, that you would live differently, that you would live holy. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works don't save us. They're just a result of the fact that we got a new husband, one who loves us and 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 cares about us, and and forgave us, and is merciful, and is, oh, just full of compassion. He makes us an heir of God. One of the great themes of the Bible is that the transformed life always produces fruit. Listen to what the great theologian Charles Hodge said. He said, as far as we are concerned, redemption is in order for to produce holiness. We are delivered from the law that we may be united to Christ and we are united with Christ that we may bring forth fruit unto God. We would live holy lives, sanctified lives. And what is the greatest fruit for God? You know, I think we often go to Galatians and, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's the fruit of the Spirit, and that is all true. But, but let, let me boil it down. Let, let me tell you what the greatest fruit is you will produce, Christian. Paul's going to talk about it in Romans chapter 8, where he says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son." You see, the more you become like God's Son, Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, love, joy, peace, patience, kind, all of the fruit that we see in Galatians will be a part of your life. You see, the greatest thing that happens to us when we recognize sin and Oh, what sin had done to us. And we now know the the solution to the problem, Jesus And now, how should we live now that we know Christ? Produce fruit, godly fruit, holy fruit. And that fruit is that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what God intends from us. 
Paul's not saying that we as followers of Christ have no obligation to obey God. In fact, our obligation is far greater now that we know Christ and belong to God's family. What Paul is teaching is that our motivation for obeying God is now way different. Your, your, your obedience to God is not out of a slave, you know, fearing his master, but that of a bride, you know, lovingly wanting and longing to please her husband. Hey, the Ten Commandments still have a role in our lives, folks. Just a different role. Just a different role. And we're going to talk more about that. So the truth is, is that the law only has authority over a person as long as that person is alive. The example is, is that marriage vows are binding only as long as both spouses are alive. And the application is, is that as a follower of Christ, you're no longer married to the law, but to Christ. Because you died. With Christ. So now you have the ability to go and bear fruit for God. You have the ability to now live a holy, sanctified, beautiful life. You, you, you can be salt and light for Christ out in the highways and the byways of life. Everybody in the venue stand, everybody in here stand, and let me let me pray for us, okay? Lord, uh, Wow, the music this morning was just majestic. And I had, a, just had a chance to hear it over in the venue for a quick moment and in here, wow. There is something really great about holy, sacred music that takes our brains and gets them into the heavenlies. Father, thank you, Lord, for um, the word of God. And this little section of scripture that tells us we, we died with Christ, which means the law has no impact on us. But now we're married to you. God, may we be people who produce lots of really great God-honoring fruit with our lives. May those that go to prime time have a great time in their class, fellowshipping, and all of that. May those that leave to go eat brunch or lunch or whatever, may they have a great time with each other. May these dumb little Kleenexes be a great reminder of a, of a truth that we are to surrender our lives to you. And I pray these things in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, live for Christ.